Hello there. I'm Kaya Maria Singh, the host, writer, and producer of Live Is a Yodo podcast. Welcome. In today's episode, I'd like to share with you a story titled "Do It Like Betty." It's about my recollections of and love for Betty, a dear friend and a mother-like figure in my life. She had passed on two years ago, at a time when I was out of the country traveling on business. I wrote this piece of tribute to her, hoping she could read it before leaving us, but it didn't reach her soon enough. It just shows how important that we appreciate the people in our lives each day. My stories on Betty is also a part of my intention to celebrate the ordinary and yet extraordinary small potatoes in life. I hope you'll like hearing my story and falling in love with Betty, as I did, and still do. Here we go. Do it like Betty. When I think of Betty. My mind goes back to a dimension that only exists in my imagination, but was all real to Betty. It was where she began to blossom, at a time long before World War II, in a place as distinct as Glasgow, and in a family headed by a much-respected local police officer and his hardworking and loving wife. Betty was the fourth child among six children in the family, all of whom were straightforward, decent, warm, and self-sufficient. Betty was her mother's favorite child, and I can tell why, for she was indeed a special one. Betty turned fourteen in 1939 when the war broke out. She had to stop schooling and go and work in a sewing factory owned by a Jewish man. She learned the tailoring of the army and navy uniforms, while one of her sisters sewed on buttons and another did the ironing. She stumbled onto a natural talent as a seamstress. Her workmanship was always impressive for a young girl. Who had sheer intelligence and endearing dedication, so much so that the big boss always urged the other workers, many of whom much older than her, to do it like Betty when he rejected their sewing and threw it back at them. I have heard this story throughout time, starting when Betty was in her seventies, then her eighties, then into her nineties. I can never. Get enough of it. Often she would tell it to me proudly and fondly, while she was busy working at her sewing machine in her sewing room, a place where she reigned and held as her sanctuary. And often, as her sewing machine rattled along with her jolly reminiscence, she would laugh while I marched around and act out the boss man's order. Do it like Betty. Sounds of the sweet past and today blended seamlessly, 
transmitting a testament to Betty's talent and legacy, and my admirations for her all over again. A twin gift of Betty's that goes hand in hand with her seamstress skills was her sense of fashion. She didn't just make her own clothes, her family's clothes, duvet covers, window draperies, cushion covers for sofas and chairs, and so forth. She did so with her own style. Her style reminds you of an English garden, the tropical climate, and a profoundly cheerful, positive, appreciative soul. On any given occasion, whether it be a day of simply hanging around at home, going on an outing to Bob Cajun or Niagara on the Lake, or paying a regular visit at the Salvation Army Church, playing cards at the Citizen Center, everything Betty wore matched perfectly with the intention to express joy, but without pretension to impress others. By everything, I mean her brownish-blonde curly hair, golden and heart-shaped glasses, lipsticks and nail polish in a variety of colors, earrings, necklaces, bracelets of gold, silver, and pearls, handbags, shirts, pants, dresses, coats, gloves, shoes, you name it, head to toe, inside and out. When Betty walked out to you from her bedroom, you would want to watch her, examine everything on her, and simply exclaim, Wow, Betty, look at you, you hot chick. I love your top. She would smile or almost giggle, rock her head left and right like an East Indian, and say, Thank you, isn't it fun? I got the material at Fabricland on sale and made it this summer. I also made a matching pair of pants. I've had plenty wear of it and got many compliments. Yes, Betty loved attention, every bit of it. It's simply deserving and innocently ready as puppies and kittens await your caresses. At the heart of her 93 years of life, there was always a sweet little girl. Her sweetness made you want to give all your attention to her and your protection of her, and you did so eagerly. Her innocence was perhaps one of the reasons why she was so deeply loved by her mother, her dad, her siblings, her husband, her daughter, her son, her friends, and almost everyone who encountered her, of course, definitely including me, whom she treated just like one of her own. This sweet little girl paid back your love for her with her sense of generosity. Bring any of your clothes that needs fixing to Betty, and she would be so glad to fix them for you. I can always tell which button or zipper on my clothing was fixed by her. If I wanted her to make me a dress or need me a sweater, all I needed to do was ask. Sleeping under a duvet cover made by her brings me extra warmth. Come visit us anytime you like and stay as long as you want, 
for free. She would always tell me, and when I was in her home, she would always remind me, "You want to eat anything? Just open the fridge and help yourself. I have all kinds of teas too. You want some cookies? Don't be shy, okay? Make yourself at home." Indeed, I always felt at home when I was with Betty. Now, this brings me to another passion of Betty's: food. Oh, did Betty ever like to eat? When she was eating with you, you would want to stop and watch her with great pleasure and amusement. She became quiet when she ate. She gave her one hundred percent attention to her food, to every item on her plate. You didn't quite exist when she ate, no matter how closely you sat with her. She ate sort of like a little puppy or kitten, with haste and a bit of sound effect. Ha <laughs> ha! The sound she made came from her knife and fork as she busied herself cutting, sliding, picking, and arranging the food items on her plate. She sprinkled salt and pepper with abandon. She awaited the Japanese plum wine as if she awaited a lover. She relished dessert with smaller bites, just so a piece of apple pie or brownie would last longer. And of course, she always, always, always wanted a second helping if there was anything left. If you didn't politely, discreetly, and lovingly stop her from eating too much, she could go on forever. Ha <laughs> ha. She was never fussy about what she ate, and was forever appreciative of whatever was on the menu. She could get excited about mashed potatoes or a piece of toast. It looked as if they tasted like heaven to her, making you suspect that they must somehow taste more divine in her mouth than in yours. I simply loved. Eating with Betty, no matter when we worked together, what we ate, and where we ate, I looked forward to watching her eat. It made me happy and made my meal taste so much more delicious. Don't get me wrong, Betty's innocence and sweetness wouldn't leave any chance for some fool to think that she could be dominated or conned. Try pulling a fast one on her, and she would tell you where to get lost. She could be a bit of a rebel, a sergeant, as we lovingly called her at times, and a force of nature. Her father used to tell her when she was young, "You do as you're told." She was obedient, but only to an extent, to her liking. <laughs> She was the only one among the three girls in the family who went out dancing at night and came home late, despite her straight-shooter father's rules. A baby brother came into her life when she was in her late teens. She doted on him. She enjoyed taking him in his stroller and prancing onto the street, pretending to strangers that she was his mother. 
anytime if you looked into the pockets of Betty's clothing, any item she had, you would very likely find a candy or two that she had hidden there when she was not supposed to eat sweets due to acid reflux that had started to trouble her since her late 80s. And yet, never mind her occasional mischievousness like a sweet little girl, wisdom and common sense were rooted in her firmly and in a no-nonsense way. Ask her about a known politician of the past or today. She would tell you whether she thought the person was full of it or not, and why. Her mind was as sharp as the scissors in her sewing room, and as quick as that of a mathematician. She knew the value of a dollar, and she earned and spent every cent honestly and conscientiously all her life. Ask her how much her salary was 50-some years ago at WSIB, how much her utility bill was last month, or what's on sale at Loblaws this week. She would tell you exact figures down to the cents, and she was correct most of the time. Talking about time, Betty was born ahead of her time. Had she been born a man in her era, she could have run the sewing factory where she worked as a young girl, or led the army, salvation or otherwise, with distinction. Had she been born in our times, she could run the government much more efficiently than any of the so-called leaders who have been heavily schooled, who talk big words, but have no clue what the heck they're doing. Oh, how brave and strong Betty was, physically and mentally. Have you ever heard of such a thing that an 80-some-year-old came out of a serious car accident without a single bone being broken, after having been flipped upside down in the car and having to wait for more than half an hour before she could be rescued? That's not pure luck if that happened to Betty. She was a survivor and always adapted to whatever situation she found herself in. If crossing the Atlantic alone from England on a mission to look for her younger brother in Canada didn't dawn her over 60-some years ago when she was just a young, rarely-traveled single lady, what would scare her when she was 80-something after she had weathered fire and storms all those years. Whenever I was with Betty, and whenever I think of Betty these days, I was always and will be forever reminded of how life should be lived, enjoyed, and cherished. With Betty, there was no I would have, should have, could have done this or that, but I didn't. She did what she intended to do, and did so without apprehension. She did not sweat the petty stuff, worry about things in her sleep, or fuss over situations that were beyond her control. She knew what to hold on to and when to let go. She appreciated small and simple pleasures. She did not fantasize about living in a mansion surrounded by marble and maize to feel happy. Spending summer days at a trailer park on Pigeon Lake 
brought her all the contentment she desired. She gave thanks readily, loved straightforwardly, and always tried to focus on getting to the heart of the matter. She made everything simple, made friends easily, and made things pretty. Just do the best as you can. She would always give me this advice. Her longevity must have much to do with all of this. Moreover, I think the ultimate gift Betty had was her ability to find, make, and maintain inner peace, to sow her soul inside such peace deeply, so it stayed intact, well nourished, and protected, and to appreciate all that she had got for over ninety-three years. Like how she always said, "I've had a good life." As I think of Betty at this very moment, I raise my glass and look up to heaven, and send my greetings. Here's to you, Betty, you sweet, innocent, kind, sometimes mischievous and rebellious, but always solid, strong, and wise little girl. With a razor-sharp mind and a heart of gold, I salute you with friendship, love, and admiration. I thank you sincerely for giving your family and the people around you, like me, precious and fond memories of your long and fully lived life. I'm grateful for having had the privilege of learning from you. True lessons on how our lives should be lived. I am humbled by having been loved and treated as one of your own. I miss you so terribly. One day, we'll hang out together again, up there. And while I'm still on Earth, I'll remember to do it like Betty. We shall all learn to do it like Betty, shall we? Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed our time together. For more information or to share your feedback, please visit liveisayodo.com or email liveisayodo at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and appreciate your time. Now. Allow me to send you off with a piano rendition of the classic Chinese folk music, "Colorful Clouds Chasing the Moon." It illustrates ordinary citizens living in peace as they imagine the immortals flying to the moon palace on colorful and auspicious clouds. I would like to thank Yi Ran Wang for his joyous performance on the piano. Margaret Meyer for her studious script editing, and Crowbar Media for skillfully producing today's episode. May peace, joy, and courage be with you. So long.